side. Do you have your Bible with you this morning? Good. Romans chapter 11 is where you need to go. Romans chapter 11. Last week we saw a text that really, really looks into the future to a glorious day when the descendants of Abraham, the Israelites, the Jews, will experience a great awakening and in multitudes and droves, it seems, will come to faith in Jesus Christ, experience His grace, and be saved. And what a day that will be. We talked about how the day of Jewish salvation is coming after the full number of Gentiles has come in. That's what the text said last week. And if that is true, we should be busy sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ with Gentiles, as that seems to precede the Jewish awakening and their coming to Christ. But we also must be busy sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ with Jews, with the descendants of Abraham, because it seems clear that they will not be saved apart from faith in Christ. And I can't wait till Tuesday when my wife gets home for a number of reasons. Um, but one reason is I can't wait to hear her story about getting to do this this week, getting to share the gospel of Jesus Christ with people who are descendants of Abraham with Jewish people to tell them that Jesus is the Christ. She spent this week doing that with this tour guide, and I can't wait to hear all the stories about that. So we'd be sharing the gospel with Gentiles and with Jews, and if we are sharing the gospel with Jews and Gentiles, then we are sharing the gospel with all men, with the whole world, and that's what we are called to be about, right? We talked how, about last week how we are disobedient. We are disobedient, and therefore we deserve God's judgment. We deserve his wrath. We talked about how God is merciful, so merciful, and he does not give us what we deserve. And we talked about how salvation is in Christ alone. There is not hope anywhere else. There's not hope in the law. There's not hope in works. There's not hope in lineage that can trace to Abraham. There is only hope in Jesus Christ. And in Jesus Christ, there is plenty of hope. In Jesus Christ, there is hope for every man and woman and boy and girl on the planet. Well, this week, we get to this amazing text in Romans. It's Paul's response from his heart to everything that he's been saying for the whole book so far. Some scholars think that this is just a reaction to what he said in verse 32 of chapter 11. That what he said there uh, spurred this great doxology. Other scholars would say, no, this is just about chapter 9, 10, and 11. This is Paul's response from his heart to just those three chapters. I think it goes all the way back to the very beginning, from chapter 1, verse 1, up to chapter 11, verse 33. This is Paul's response to everything that he has been taught. He has been teaching us, um, and, and it's so good. It's so good to just watch him, as Bailey said, burst out into praise in response to these great truths. And I want us to think about how far we have come in our study of those first 11 chapters. Did you know that we started this study back on Easter Sunday of 2014? You remember that? That was a long time ago, right? That was a little over a year and a half ago. It was exactly 586, 560 days ago. 560 days ago, we started this journey in our study of Romans. That's 80 weeks. That's 80 sermons in Romans that you have heard. And what we want to see today is the culmination of all of that. We want all of what we have learned so far to burst forth in our hearts, to bring us to praise. Kind of the umbrella that's going to hang over all of this is that theology, theology should lead to doxology, that right thinking and right encounter with God should, should breed worship in our hearts for God. 
So think about how far we've come, 80 sermons in 80 weeks. Also think about the major ideas we've discussed during those 80 weeks. We have talked about condemnation. We've talked about how we are all sinners and we all deserve the wrath of God. We've talked about how whether you're a Jew or a Gentile, we have all fallen short and we all deserve the wrath of God. We've talked about justification, to be declared righteous before God, how justification is by faith alone and not by works of the law, that even Abraham was justified, not by works, but by faith. He believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. We've talked about imputation. We've talked about imputation, how, how uh, the guilt and the sinfulness of Adam is imputed to us. It is credited to our account that we in Adam sinned, all of us in Adam sinned. That's the negative side of imputation. But we've also talked about the positive side of imputation, that Christ's righteousness, that the righteousness of God in Christ is counted to our account by grace through faith in him, right? It's credited to us, imputation. We've talked about that. We've talked about sanctification, sanctification, this growth in godliness, this trajectory that is Godward being conformed more and more to the image of Christ every day. We've talked about election, those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to become conformed to the image of Christ. We've talked about election, and that wasn't easy. We've talked about missions. We've talked about how, how can they believe if they haven't heard, and how will they hear unless there's a preacher, and how will they preach unless they are sent. We've talked about missions. We've talked about the position of ethnic Israel. We've talked about a lot, right? In fact, we talked about how this is like the exploded view of the gospel. Remember that? How we've got the gospel and what Paul does in Romans is he breaks it apart and he teaches us about all these little parts of the gospel. And we've seen so much. So think about how far we've come. Think about all the major ideas we've discussed. And then watch as all of this brings Paul and should bring us to a place that we can't contain it anymore. We just burst forth into praise. Theology leads to doxology. It's the banner over the whole week. John Stott says it this way. He said, theology and doxology must never be separated. It is the word of God which calls forth the worship of God. And then he quotes an old guy, an old dead guy, named Hanley Moole, who says, beware equally of undevotional theology, undevotional theology on the one hand, this dry, scholastic, intellectual understanding of God that never burns in your heart, Beware of undevotional theology and also of untheological devotion. We, we don't want to be a people who just get stirred up into a frenzy over nothing, right? But rather we want to be a people who are theologically devoted. That we have a devotional theology that these great truths about who God is and what he has done for us in Christ burn in our hearts and come out of our mouths in praise, right? It's what is happening in this text. R. Kent Hughes, another scholar, says it this way. Our study of God and his ways among us should turn our hearts to music. Right? Not, not, to, not to hunched over a book simply studying it, but hearts that will sing. Warren Wiersbe says it this way. The more we study his ways, the more we offer him praise. Warren Wiersbe was a poet and didn't know it, right? The more we study his ways, the more we offer him praise. This is the case in Paul's writings. If you read through Paul's letters, this happens over and over again. He'll be talking about something, giving us the details and the technical analysis of the thing, explaining it in so much detail. And then it's like he can't do it anymore, and he just says, Oh, God, you're so great and so glorious, and you get all the glory forever and ever. You're going to see in the text today, he says, For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be glory forever and ever. Amen. 
Like that needs to happen in our hearts every once in a while, right? It needs to happen in our hearts every day that we see God clearly for who he is and we respond in worship. If we are seeing God clearly for who he is and we are not responding in worship, we're not seeing God clearly. If we really see him, we will praise him. And that's exactly what happens in this text. It happens in Galatians. It happens in Ephesians. It happens in Philippians. It happens in 1 Timothy. It happens in 2 Timothy. And it's got to happen in our hearts as well. And that's what today's about. So look at it in the text today. Romans chapter 11. Romans chapter 11, starting in verse 33. Remember how far we've come. Remember all of these deep truths that we have learned And then hear the word of the Lord, the response to that. Oh, the depth of the riches, both of the wisdom and the knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and unfathomable his ways. For who has known the mind of the Lord or who became his counselor or who has first given to him that it might be paid back to him again? For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be glory forever. Amen. Amen. God, we thank you so much for your word today. We want this to happen in our hearts. God, I fear, I fear that we could become a people who have undevotional theology. And we don't want that. We don't want to be dry, dead academics in this place. We want to be passionate, fiery followers, lovers of you. We want our hearts to turn to praise. We want our hearts to turn to music. We want to see you clearly and worship you for who you are. So God, I pray that you give us a taste of that today that we would respond rightly today in this place and that it wouldn't just happen in this place today, but every day as we see you and respond to who you are, that our theology would turn to doxology all the time. In Christ's name we pray, amen. All right, so right off the bat, I wanna, I wanna give you a Greek lesson. Notice in the text in verse 33, it starts with O. O, I'm gonna teach you what the Greek word for O is in this text. It's O. Is exactly O. One letter in the Greek alphabet, that word, and it is an exclamation. It is this cry of amazement. It's like a it's like a mountain climber who gets to the top of the mountain and he sees the after working so hard, he sees the beautiful vista. And what does he say? He says, Oh, oh, this is incredible. Oh, how amazing. Oh, how wonderful, right? This is what's going on in Paul's heart. It's a response. It's an exclamation. He says, oh, so now you know Greek, right? You know a little Greek at least. He says, oh, the depth of the riches, both of the wisdom and knowledge of God. And we have seen deep wisdom. We have seen deep knowledge of God on display as Paul has given us this exploded view of the gospel, this gospel of salvation, Gospel of salvation by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, right? We've learned so much about this and seen the depth of God's wisdom and knowledge. And those three phrases, by the way, are important phrases. Those three phrases today are timely phrases, as yesterday was the celebration of the beginning of the Protestant Reformation. 
498 years ago, yesterday, Martin Luther went to the church at Wittenberg and nailed his theses onto the door, effectively starting the Protestant Reformation. And if you don't think that's a big deal, it's a huge deal. Because you have a Bible in your hands today partly because of that whole thing. And the cries of the Reformation, there were five of them, and three of them I just said. Grace alone, faith alone, Christ alone. The, the, authority, of, the authority comes from Scripture alone, and it's all for the glory of God alone, right? Those five battle cries of the Reformation are part of why we can sit here today and celebrate like we do. So that's not a small thing. So he says, oh, Oh, the depth of the riches, both of the wisdom and the knowledge of God. And then he says, how unsearchable are his judgments and unfathomable his ways. This comes directly from Isaiah chapter 40. And his ways, God's ways, are higher than ours, right? His ways are higher than our ways. And this encourages us to worship him rather than discouraging us from worshiping him. There's some who would say, well, if, if, his, if his ways are higher than our ways, and I can't search them out, and I can't really know them, then how can I worship him? I would turn that question around and say, do you really think someone that you can know fully is worthy of worship? Do you think someone whose ways are like your ways, who you can understand fully, is worthy of worship? Or do you worship someone who is beyond you, and above you, and greater than you, whose ways are above your ways, and higher than your ways? That's the one we worship, right? And so Paul is saying, oh, even though, even though we understand a lot more now than we did before about the gospel, oh, there's so much more. And so we stand in awe of this God whose ways are unsearchable, his judgments are unfathomable. And then he says, for who has known the mind of the Lord? Or who became his counselor? We sang that, right? Or who is first given to him that it might be paid back to him again? The last text was from Isaiah chapter 40. This is from Job chapter 41. And the answer is no one. Who, who, who can give counsel to the Lord? Who can question his will? Who's going to loan something to him so that he pays it back? It's not the way it works with the Lord, right? It's not as if we give something to him and put him on the hook so that he owes us something. One scholar says we deserve nothing from God except his wrath. We deserve nothing from God except his wrath, and we can demand nothing from him, neither mercy nor even answers. If he gives anything, he gives it on his own, on his own freedom, by his own good pleasure. If he's going to give us answers, if he's going to give us mercy, it all comes from him. He doesn't owe us anything. Who has known the mind of the Lord? Who has become his counselor? Who has first given to him that it might be paid back to him again? No one. God does all of this on his own. And then he says this, this is huge. For from him and through him and to him are all things. If that's not a statement of praise, there is not a statement of praise anywhere in scripture. He says in this text that God is the source, he is the means, and he is the goal of all things. Where does it all come from? It comes from him, right? How did it all get here? How did it all happen? Through him, right? And why is it all here? And why does it all happen? For him, right? And this pertains to everything. Notice Paul says, all things are from him and through him and for him. That means all of the created things, that's the easy part of this. All the created, Dad, Dad, where did the trees come from? They came from God. How did they get here? He made them. Why are they here? For his glory. Dad, where did I come from? They came from God. How did I get here? He made you. Why am I here? For his glory, for him. 
right? It answers all of those questions about creation, but it also answers those questions about salvation. Because Paul has not been talking to us for 11 chapters about creation, has he? He's been talking to us for 11 chapters about salvation. Where does salvation come from? Dad, where does salvation come from? It comes from God. Make no mistake about that. It doesn't come from you. It doesn't come from me. It comes from God. How, how do I receive it? How does salvation come to me? It comes through Jesus Christ. It comes through God. He does it. How does it happen? He does it. Not you do it. Not you create it. Not you make it happen. God gives it. He does it. Why? Why does God save sinners? Why does he show grace and mercy to people who only deserve his wrath? Oh, he does that for himself. He does that for his own glory. He does that so that his name will be great. You see where we're going with this? This is a great statement of praise. From him, through him, and to him are all things. And then Paul says this. He ties it together and he says, since that is true, to him be glory forever. That's the way it works. If indeed all things are from him and through him and to him, then to him be glory forever and ever. It's the only proper response, right? Who else would you give glory to? If, if it's all from, through, and to him, who else would you give glory to? Me? Dad, where'd the trees come from? They came from God. How'd they get here? God made them. Why are they here? Because God gets glory in it. Well, way to go, Dad. That's great. You're awesome, Dad. That doesn't make any sense, does it? The only proper response to that whole line of thinking is, oh, God, you're incredible. You're amazing. To you be glory forever. And then it ends this way with amen. Amen. That's another word that is exactly amen in the Greek. When I was studying it in school, they taught us that it means verily, truly, so let it be. I think my friend in Mississippi had it right, though. Every once in a while I'd be preaching, and I would hear this voice, this booming voice. I've told you about this before. This guy would say, amen. First time I preached in Mississippi, this happened, and I was totally thrown off, and I was looking around, looking for a giant of a man who would have a voice like that, and I couldn't find him anywhere, and then he'd say it again, and I'd kind of zoom in to this, this area over here, amen. And every once in a while, if he really nailed it, he'd say, that's right, that's right. And I think that, I think that nails what amen is. Because when a doxology is given like this, when someone stands up and says, for from him and through him and to him are all things, so to him be glory forever and ever, we need to say, that's right. That is right. Every once in a while, if you really got going good, he would say, sing it, brother. <laughs> and he was about this tall. When I, when I finally nailed it down, he was like this tall. And he didn't talk like that normally. That was like his amen voice. I want us to be that group that hears praise like this and says, that's right, that's right. From him and to him and through him are all things. To him be glory. That's right. Amen. I'm with that. I agree with that. Man, here's the application. We need to praise him. And so we're going to. We're not, we're not going to pray and wrap up. We're going to pray and sing some more, right? We're going to praise him because he's worthy of our praise. And our studying must lead to this. I want us to be diligent students of the word. I think far too much of the church in America is shallow. 
and doesn't really examine the scriptures. I want us to be a group of people who dive deep into the depths to where we have to take a light with us so we can see what's going on there. I want us to go deep into the scriptures, but I don't want us to become dry and dead. It must produce in us fire and passion and worship that we would have these moments where we just can't contain it anymore. Where we see God face to face and we say, oh, 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 the depths of the riches, both of the wisdom and the knowledge of God. His ways are unfathomable. His knowledge is unsearchable. To him be glory forever and ever, right? We've got to have that in our hearts, and I want that to happen today. And listen, it can happen even when we don't understand it all. It can happen even when we don't understand it all. That's the heart of part of what Paul is saying here. He's saying, who's known the mind of the Lord or who's become his counselor? We haven't got it all, but that doesn't mean we don't praise him. In fact, maybe we praise him all the more because we, there's more to know. There's more to know of him. And also, we don't have to agree on every fine point to praise him together. We've gone through some tough stuff in Romans so far. And I have no doubt that we're not all on the same page when it comes to election. When it comes to the position of ethnic Israel in the future, we'll, we'll probably disagree on that in this room. Does that mean we can't get together and sing, Behold our God seated on his throne, come let us adore him? No, even when we have disagreement about finer points, secondary, tertiary points of theology, we can get together and praise him, right? Oh, and we must, if we can't do that, there's no, just go home and worship him in private. We get together because we can, we can behold our God seated on his throne, and we can agree that he is on his throne. I want us to beware equally, as Hanley Mool says, I want us to beware equally of undevotional theology and of untheological devotion. I want us to beware of truth without worship and worship without truth. I want us to be a church who worships in the truth. Not who worships truth, but who worships in the truth. That the truth of the word of God spurs us to worship. And that's what we want to do today. All, all in response to this glorious gospel. That Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures. And he was buried and he was raised the third day according to the scriptures. And that, and that by grace alone as a gift through faith alone, not by works, in Christ alone, we can be saved from our sins and from the wrath of God. Let's sing about that. Stand together with me. God, you're good. And we want to praise you today. We want to say, based on what we've seen, we want to say, oh, oh, the depth of the riches, both of the wisdom and knowledge of God. We want to recognize that from you and through you and to you are all things. To you be glory forever and ever. Amen. We want to join in that song together. God, I pray that I pray that you guard us from undevotional theology and from untheological devotion. I pray that we would not be a people who have truth without worship, nor worship without truth, but that we worship you in the truth. And that the truth of your word spurs us to worship, to where we can't contain it anymore and we just have to cry out. God, I pray that that'll happen in the next few minutes. That you'll be honored and glorified as we sing praises to you. God, I pray that it doesn't stop when the songs are over, but that you will be honored and glorified as we live for you. 
that we know, you know, men and women and boys and girls in this room who don't know your grace, they don't know salvation in Christ alone. I pray that over the next few minutes you'll meet with them. And in a way that only you can, I pray that you teach them about their sin. I pray that you teach them about your judgment against sin. I pray that you break them. That you convict them. And then I pray that you come to them, teach them about your grace, teach them about your mercy, show them that Christ died for sinners. still sinners, Christ died for us. And God, I pray that the response to your great sacrifice would be repentance and faith, and that you would pour down your grace upon men and women, boys and girls, giving them Christ in their place today. In Christ's name we pray.